0: So this morning, I'm excited to uh, invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Um, or some have called it the great chapter 8, page 944 in your pew Bibles if you, you need help there. Many have called this the greatest chapter in the greatest book of Scripture. The um, chapter has been called the inner sanctuary Within the cathedral of the Christian faith, it's been called the, the tree of life in the midst of the Garden of Eden. It's been called the, the highest peak in, in the range of biblical mountains. One commentator said this <clears throat> If the Holy Scriptures were a ring and the Epistle to the Romans was its precious stone, chapter 8 would be the sparkling point of the jewel. On that ring. Chapter 8 of Romans holds a, a special place in my heart because this was the first um, chapter in which I did any work on extended scripture memory. I was 19 years old. I was a camp counselor at a, at a Bible camp one summer. And, and uh, during our days of orientation, a fellow counselor said, uh, hey, we, we ought to just memorize Romans 8, 1 through 17. And so I did, over the process of that summer, memorize the first 17 verses. And those, by and large, have really stuck with me these 30 years since I was 19 years old. And I've meditated often. I've meditated long and hard on these verses. And just even thinking about that, I just want to encourage you all, just memorize Scripture in your youth. Memorize scripture when you're young, because it will will hold on to you. You'll you'll have a a hook there. In Romans 8, there's no greater chapter. It's the great eight. And I just say this. These are wonderful verses. They speak about our security in Christ. They begin talking about uh, how we have no condemnation from the wrath of God. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In the end, in verses 38 and 39, how there's no separation from the love of God, no condemnation from the wrath of God, and no separation from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 38, I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And this chapter talks about the trials of life and how the the creation longs for the the groaning, the revealing of the sons of God. And yet it says all our, our groanings today are not worth comparing with the glories to follow. This chapter speaks about how we are adopted sons of God. In fact, so adopted are we that we are fellow heirs with Jesus. Whatever Jesus inherits, we're like a sibling and we inherit that as well. Speaks about that. This chapter speaks about the Holy Spirit, how, how He dwells us and empowers us, and how even when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, intercedes for us. The chapter speaks of God's plan from eternity past to eternity future, how, how it's all in God's control. I want to summarize everything here. In some regards, a, a thematic verse might be verse 31. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? So, so Romans 8 is the, is the big chapter which says that God is for us. And one of the things that I, I've just learned even here recently, just uh, having preached through Romans 7 and then coming into Romans 8, see, I've memorized Romans 8, but I haven't really dealt for these past 30 years on Romans 7 so much. But where Romans 7 might be filled with, with discouragement and, and anguish and struggle over our sanctification and the struggle with sin that we seemingly will never win and, and how indwelling sin is like a squatter that just squats and refuses to leave and has, has taken up residence there uninvited it kind of has come in and, and how discouraging that is for us who long to please a Savior. Chapter 8 puts it all in perspective. Hey, listen, God is... For us and if God is for us who can be against us that's why I've entitled this portion of Romans security right there right we have seen sin in chapters 1 through 3 we have seen our salvation in chapters 3 4 and 5 our sanctification comes in 6 and 7 and now our security we are secure in Christ and it all begins here in in verse 1 but according to the Spirit. So I requested from Ryan that we sing before the throne of God above before I, I uh, get up to preach because there, there are many parallels between, between these. I'm, I'm just talking about uh, when in despair, what do we do? We look to God. Who is our Savior and who is our help? And, and who is the one who's going to, um, to be with us? And in, in, in the midst of our sin, we can look to Jesus now, one of the things about this hymn, it's really curious that it's like, like many hymns, actually. It, it, it's not hymns of praise. It's not I exalt you or I praise you. It's just recounting simple, true facts of the gospel in first person. Right? This is my experience of what I know to be true about the gospel. And it's almost as if he's reminding himself of what's true. And in reminding himself what's true, there's a, a stirring of the heart that goes on. So let's just consider. Oops, there we go. let's just consider these verses. I just want to read them for you. We've sung them already. They, are, they uh, are sung often here. But let's just think about this, right? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands No tongue can bid me thence depart. In other words, right, God is for us. I got this priest up there who's got got our name in his hands, and his heart. And while he stands, there's no tongue that's going to separate us from that. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, or, or right when I'm struggling with guilt, what does he do? Upward I look and see him there, who made an end to all my sin. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm looking up. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Right When any time there's some accusation or ourselves, we think and we look at our sin, what do we do? We look to the priest. We look to the one who died to, to set us free. And the one who declared my pardon is really the only one that matters. If God is for us, who can be against us? Behold him there, the risen Lamb. My perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself, I'm united with Christ, Romans 6. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. I have a lamb in heaven. His perfect righteousness is mine. My soul has been purchased by his blood and I stand with him forever. He is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us? And though these words aren't words of praise, directly lifting up to God, they are wonderfully worshipful, are they not? And so also I would just encourage us by, uh, by way of outline this morning, I'm going to do a, a similar sort of thing. I'm just going to have three statements that are, are like true statements. A, a similar, not as poetic, right? Uh, but but saturated and filled with Romans eight one through four, that identify the truths of the gospel, that, that you likewise, right, when you're in despair or when you're questioned, just these three phrases, you could just refresh yourself and just say to yourself and remind yourself of the truth of the gospel. My message this morning is entitled, Free in Christ, that's why I believe the first four verses are talking about, it. and the first statement is this, I am not condemned, at trust you can see that right there in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And I'm just encouraging you to say this. Well, I'm one of those people. i am in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you can say this. That I am not condemned. But, but note that there is a, um, a clarification. This is only for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's a, it's a qualification because the whole point of Romans and the whole point of the gospel is Is that those who are not in Christ Jesus are condemned? Isn't that what what Jesus what what Paul did in the midst of Romans, beginning in chapter one, verse eighteen? How the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Right? That God is angry with sinners every day, and this wrath condemns us all. We're all under that wrath. It says written Romans three, ten through twelve. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together become worthless. No one does good, not under one, not even one. And we're all under God's wrath, and we're all worthy of condemnation. But the good news of the gospel is this, is that, yes, though we are condemned in our sin, God Through his grace revealed his righteousness to us, chapter 3, verse 21. And his righteousness comes in Jesus Christ and and we are justified in him. We are saved in him and we are rescued from our condemnation by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22, the righteousness of God comes through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. And so that's how you come in Christ is that you believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Christ, you will not be condemned. And if you do not believe in Jesus, you will be condemned. That's the, the clarification. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, this echoes exactly what Jesus said, John three eighteen. Whoever believes in him, Jesus speaking in the third person of himself, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. If you believe in Him, you'll face no condemnation. If you don't believe in Him, you will face condemnation. And the good news is there's no condemnation for us who believe and who are in Christ. Do you have any idea how good that news is? I think we just hear it so much, it's kind of like, okay, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Right? We believe in Jesus and we're free. But does it catch you? Does it, does it grip you that we are not condemned? Well, the second point verse 2 kind of comes along with condemning. So I'm going to introduce it to you, but we'll, we'll come back to the condemnation theme a little bit more as I try to illustrate it here. But the second point is this. I'm free from sin and death. I'm not condemned, but I, I'm free. That's exactly, I think, what verse 2 says. For the law of the Spirit of life is has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. See, when you stand before a judge, the issue is the law of the land. And the judge is there to interpret the law and apply the law in your situation. So, interpreting the law, he or she, the the judge, will declare you either innocent or guilty. And then applying the law, the, the judge will sentence you to the punishment that the law dictates. There's the law. Now, verse 2 speaks about two laws. And I believe there are two laws in the universe. One is the law of the spirit of life. And the other is the law of sin and death. And the law of sin and death is, of course, the path that, that follows our flesh. That's we sin and we die. As Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. Right? We, we follow the law of sin and death, we, we will die. But there's another law in the universe called the law of the spirit of life. That follows the path of the Spirit. When we trust in Christ, empowered by the Spirit, we live. And that's not a law of works or rewards. It's a law of grace. It's a a law of God's gift. Romans 6.23 again, right? The wages of sin is death, but the, help me, free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And and these two laws are on display right there in verse 2. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, right? You once were on the law of sin and death, but in Christ Jesus now you've been set free by the law of the spirit of life. And again, don't miss the qualifier. It's there again in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free where? In Christ Jesus. See, freedom comes only through Jesus Christ as we are united with him by faith. Here's some illustrations here. So this this is a picture of our garage door. Okay, and uh, it, it's it's looking it's looking pretty good, but it wasn't looking very good. I forget what day it was Thursday maybe, Wednesday. I can't I can't remember. But Yvonne, Yvonne came in and she was closing up things before we went to sleep on Wednesday night. Probably he said, "Yeah, Steve, I think I I heard a, like like something on the wall like fall down." I was like, "Okay, yeah, I forgot about that." And then the morning when I tried to push the button. It, this big thing, and uh, and the issue is right right here. These uh, oops, these <laughs> these uh, these springs right here. Those were the issues, and those were both broken apart. And so I, I called a um, uh, a repairman, and so he came and repaired the door. Johnny on the spot was great. I called him at eight o'clock in the morning; he was there by ten. It was wonderful. He's he's repairing. And so with a small business owner, here's my line. Okay, um, I said, uh, "How's business going?" And so he's, you know, because I know that, right, business goes up and down, especially for garage door <laughs> operators, right? But, but he said, um, he said, uh, things, are, things are going okay, and um, uh, then he threw me a softball. You know what he said? How's your business going? <laughs> like, all right, well, there's a whoop, right? And so this is my line, okay? And I would encourage you to think about your line that you're gonna, you, you, you will use, right? If someone says, well, how's your business going? Have, have your one-liner. So I said, well, he said, I'm, I'm a pastor of a church. I got the best job in the world. I teach the Bible, and I tell people how sins are forgiven through believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. That's my line, okay? So maybe you can really think about what kind of line you want to do. But I, I said that, and he responded this. He said, well, I'm no believer, he said, but I'm a giver. He said, I've seen it over and over again, right? When you give to others, it comes back to you. And it turns out, through the course of events, he said, well, you know, I got a friend of mine who goes to this church. And so I, I snowplow their church parking lot for free. So I'm, I'm a giver, and he, he, I, I, I believe that he gives other things, okay? I don't think he's a... That's the only thing he does, and, I, and I, I want to certainly commend that because if there are people who are going to do that for us, we'll certainly say, yeah, absolutely, you can, you can um, plow our, our driveway for free for sure. But, um, but I could tell by the demeanor, um, I mean, you can, this guy didn't, didn't seek God. He wasn't a, a pursuer of God in any ways. Um, but his goodness or his giving isn't going to help, right, because there are two laws. The law of sin and death, the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And, and, and to get free from your condemnation, it's not through good works. It's not through the works of a law. Rather, it's not through your giving. Because Romans 3.20 says, by the works of a law, no human being will be justified in his sight. The path of freedom comes through Jesus Christ. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in him that we're free. It's in him that we are, are not condemned. The great picture of, of that or, or condemnation, right, here's a, another illustration, is uh, the whole presidential pardon. I, I, endowed in, I think it's uh, Article 2 of our current uh, Constitution, requires or it gives power of the president, that he has the, the power to pardon. That is to take someone who is um, convicted of a crime... To absolve them and, and set them as free as if they were were never ever convicted before. That's what verse one is, is talking about. And it's talking about though verse one isn't talking about presidential pardon. Verse one is talking about um, divine pardoning ability of the sovereign God of the universe that He can pardon our sins. Now we get a picture of that on uh, let's see if I oops, oops here we go. We get a picture of that on Thanksgiving. Right, It used to be, as so I was researching this a little bit, is that uh, it used to be the presidents would receive these turkeys that they would take then and that they would slaughter and have on their dinner table at the White House. And with George Herbert Walker Bush, it all changed, where he didn't take that turkey, but he pardoned that turkey. <laughs> and so now it has become a, a tradition every Thanksgiving that uh, the president after president, they take these turkey or turkeys or a pair of them or, or whatever, and they they cast their presidential pardon on that turkey. And and, and what it means is that they're going to escape the fate of many of their cousins. And and they're not going to be on a dinner table that Thanksgiving day. Rather, they return to the farm with the promise from the President of the United States that they will be able to live out their days and die of old age. That's what turkeys get. It's a presidential pardon. And as we trust Christ, Romans 8.1 is that we have the divine Presidential pardon that those who believe in Jesus Christ will be wiped free from their sins. There's no condemnation for us. And, and so here's the reality, right? Why, why don't people seek that pardon? I mean, if, think about it. Here's, here's the comparison the comparison is that you're a prisoner on death row and you are soon to be executed rightfully for your crimes against the state, whatever they were. And and you're not contesting, you're not saying, I'm 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 innocent, I'm innocent. No, but well what happens when that, that death row comes down is they have a phone right there in the death chamber that's just waiting to ring. It's directly connected to the governor's office. And if the governor wanted to, he could call and stay that execution anytime he wanted. And so lawyers are asking that and that, that governor is kind of looking over things and, and, and looking things and he can call. And he can either stop that execution or say, carry on or not be quiet. But here's a here's sad reality of, of life is that we all have a phone to the supreme governor's mansion. And, and there are many people in this life who are dying and under the condemnation of their sin. And they don't even call the governor to ask for a pardon. What an amazing thing that is. Why, why don't people ask for the pardon? Because the, the statue of God is different than the statue of a governor. Because a governor will, will look and, and will, will, will gauge things on, well, does he deserve to die? Yes, I think he should go ahead and die. Unless, whatever, there's some preconceived notion about no death penalty shouldn't happen. or. Whatever. But, but God is disposed towards us towards love and grace. And he is. He has a pardoning way through Jesus Christ. And so when we call and claim the blood of Jesus, he's a good and gracious and loving, kind, sufficient God. And he's gracious and forgives. He's ready to forgive. And we don't call. Or people that you meet don't call. Or my garage repairman doesn't call. And and you say, well, why, why doesn't he call? And in some ways, I think it's because faith is an issue, right? They don't see the coming judgment. They don't see the, the, the fact that, that judgment is coming. They don't believe that. But, but of course, that's the whole issue, right? It's faith. You've got to believe the coming judgment. You've got to believe you're dead in your sins. You've got to believe you've got to trust in Christ. And you've got to call out to him and cry out to him. And Sadly, people don't do that. Instead, they're like turkeys with Thanksgiving approaching. And they die without the pardon because they never made the call got another illustration of this week so i've been doing some drone evangelism and i crashed my drone this week are the reeds here where are the nathan you saw it i wish i could show you a video of it i um i just hey let me let me fly your house for you and i'm flying up like this and i got too close to a tree and it was coming backwards i was disoriented and i went right into the tree rather than right out of the tree and it crashed so no drone evangelism this week so um, I was too overconfident. Pride comes for the fall. Now, I did buy insurance, so I bought insurance for about $100, and it's gonna. It, but it's in the shop, right? It's on transit, and someday I'll, I'll get back to it. I'm kind of feeling lost without it, but so I did the next best thing, right? I, I did some pool evangelism this week is what I did, so you know, I was, no, I'm, I'm the pool, and so I had a, a broken cue or a, a tip that I needed repair, and so I, I went, to, uh, went to the pool shop, and uh, I've been there enough times that I know the guy, but you know what, you know what I asked him? How's business? And um, so he, he told me how, how things are going fine, and he knows me well enough. He asked how church was going, and so I kind of talked to him about that. But he said, you know what, there's one, one difficult thing here at church is there at, churches, at, at, at uh, the shop is that they've got one installer. This is the main installer, and uh, he's got brain cancer recently. And uh, operated, I can I don't know, in April maybe, and then it came back. So he said it's it's terminal. And so I found out some more more details. And so I I inquired, just trying to try to give give him a, a picture of just what our our church is about. I said, well, is, does this man have any kind of church that he goes to, or church family that might surround him and help him with meals, or kids, or errands, or, or cleaning, or. Or financial matters, or anything like that. They're just trying to paint a picture of what a healthy church is. Like, I think about if someone here contacted brain surgery, brain tumor, and had surgery and was fatal, we would get around and and love for sure, and there'd be a a total support. This is like one of the things church is, right? They're a family of families, and, and we are all about seeking to try to help in those sorts of situations. And so I tried to pass that in, and he said, no, he, I, I, would, I wouldn't call him religious in any sense, is what my, uh, my pool buddy said. And um, I, I, so as I thought about it, discerned, basically, I saw even that this owner of the shop has taken on some of the responsibility. He's his only employee, and so he's trying to care for him and help him, whatever. He did some kind of fundraiser to try to help their family. And, and so, you know, I just asked him, can I just pray for you and pray for your employer? And he said, sure. And so I, I just put my hand around him and just prayed for God's grace in the situation, God's grace in life. And, and I remember praying this. If ever there's a time to seek the Lord, it's now when diagnosed with terminal cancer. But it's amazing. I don't think this man is seeking the Lord at all. He's not making that call to the governor. He's not seeking any sort of reprove, re- reprieve from his sentence of condemnation, even though he sees the end of his life. He's, he's like this turkey about to be sacrificed on the altar of thanksgiving and he doesn't know it verse one says that pardon's available and verse two says that freedom is available being set free in jesus christ and the, these are the things that we ought to say right i'm not condemned i'm free from sin and death these are the, uh, the affirmations of the gospel that we ought to 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 be able to say and and again, think about from last week, right? We've been working through Romans and coming right through Romans chapter 7. And If anything, I tried to communicate there is just a struggle of sin that, that will be there, that is in the heart of a believer that desires to get rid of the sin, but I'm in the flesh and so it ties me down and just, just catch that flavor again. Verse 15, I do not understand my own actions. I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Or, or verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Here's just the, the believer. Right? He's, he's longing to, to keep God's law. and He's longing to do right, but he just can't do it. We'll find out from verse 3 why, but he just can't do it. He's, he's trying, he's willing, and he's not able. And that says in verse 22. I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see it in my members. Another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the answer comes in chapter eight, right? It comes through Jesus Christ. It comes by divine pardon. It doesn't come through law keeping. I mean, if anything, right I presented last week how some people believe that chapter 7 is talking about a non-believer. And some people think that chapter 7 is talking about a believer. And in some regards, um, there's another commentator that says, you're asking the wrong question. Because the right question to ask is, is, can we keep the law? Whether a believer or a non-believer. Why can we do that? Because that's one of the things that chapter 8 answers. Is that, that it's not through law keeping that you're made right with God. Even if we could keep the law properly, it's not how we're made right with God. We are made right through another way because we are we are sinners and even though we've come to faith in Christ it's not the law that's that's going to keep us going there and that's what verses three and four are all about see God did what we could never do we could never keep the law in our flesh but God did thereby he set it free and so there's my third statement right I'm not condemned I'm I'm free from sin and death and God has set me free that's what verses three and four are about let me just read them for you for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and forced sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of a law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So catch this, church family. Right? When we stand before God, we don't stand before him because of our law-keeping. That, that's not how we stand before God. That's a continual struggle the rest of our lives. That's what Romans 7 speaks about. We're never going to keep the law. Why? Because we are flesh. Look at at verse 3 again, right? For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. See, we're in the flesh, and weakened by the flesh, we just can't do that. But God accomplished it, and we'll talk about that how, how he did that. But in the flesh, we cannot do what the law tells us to and paul said that verse 25 of chapter 7 i myself serve the law of god with my mind but with my flesh i serve the law of sin my flesh i'm serving the law of sin right we can't in the flesh accomplish all that the law has us to accomplish so so what exactly is it the law could never do it could never make us right before god that's the issue we need a divine fiat that 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 tells us that we are forgiven in Christ Jesus. Well, and how did God forgive us? That's a verse 3. He did it by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, He condemns sin in the flesh. And there's the gospel, right? Plain and simple. That Jesus Christ came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, note again how precise the Apostle Paul is. He didn't say Jesus came in sinful flesh as if to assume that He was a sinner. Right, became in the likeness of sinful flesh. That is, that he was he was like Adam. He was sinless in the flesh, but not sinful, taking the form of a bondservant. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7. Or as Dallas read for us today from Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same. He took flesh and blood like, like we do. And yet, free from sin. So I said likeness. So Jesus comes free from sin. That's why he is able to condemn sin in the flesh. Because he himself never sinned. The scripture speaks about that. That's the, the reality of why we are not condemned in Christ. Because Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. You say, how did he do that? Well, he did that by dying on the cross. By dying on the cross for our sins. He condemned sin by taking sin on himself, on the cross, and that's why God can set us free. That's what it took for God to set us free, right? That's the um, before the throne says, right? That he might be just and look on me. He might I forget how exactly it goes. He might be him. How's it go? Help me. He might be just and satisfied. God the just was satisfied. To look on him and pardon me, to look on Jesus and pardon me, because he had to have justice, and that's what he did with Jesus. Listen, and right? And, and this it is, right? That, that we trust in Christ, and it was all fulfilled in there. But the surprise comes in verse 4. And this was surprising to me, right? That it's the righteous requirement of law. Like, I would assume that verse, verse 3 goes like this By sending his own son, the likeness of the sinful flesh, for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of law might be fulfilled in Jesus. But that's not what it says. That, is that the righteous requirement might be fulfilled in us. who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the, the spirit. Now again, right before we talk about that us and what that means, let, let's just think here about the, the qualifier again. Every single one of these sections, verse 1, verse 2, or verses 3 and 4, have this qualifier. It's whether you're in Christ or whether you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you're not condemned. If you're in Christ, you're set free from sin and death. And here is the qualifier, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, that's what it means to be in Christ. It means trusting Him and walking according to the Spirit. It means following Him. But here it is, right? That the righteous requirement of a law might be fulfilled in us. How can that be? That, that the righteous requirement of law is fulfilled in us? Well, it's fulfilled in us because we're linked to Him. and As it's, it's it's He fulfilled it, we, united with Him, fulfill it as well. As we walk according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. So l- let me just close with two, two questions for you. First of all, are you in Christ? Are you in Christ? Here's the qualifier over and over and over again. And, and according to the qualifier of, of verse 4, are you walking according to the, the Spirit? That is right, trusting in the Spirit day to day. One of the things that, that is interesting is in chapter 7, when he's battling and trying to keep the law and no mention of the Spirit. And then here in chapter 8 comes the Spirit over and over and over again. In fact, the title of my Bible, the ESV, says, Life in the Spirit. The Spirit is just an emphasis there. Are are you in Christ? Are you walking in the Spirit? Because if so, you can say these things. I'm not condemned. I'm free from sin. God set me free. But if you're not in Christ, you cannot say these things. In fact, if you're not in Christ, you have to say, I'm condemned. I am in prison to sin and death. God has not set me free. To so trust in Him if you haven't. Kids, especially. Trust in Him. Maybe some parents are here. Trust in Christ. Here's my second question. Do you believe these verses? I mean, do you really believe them? I mean, you might say, yeah, of course I believe them. But here, do you really believe you're not condemned? How about this? Do you ever feel guilty when you sin? If you feel guilty when you sin, you do not believe these verses. What's interesting about verse one, about no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is it's like it's like way too good to be true. Like, you know, you know they have that phrase, right, we gotta pinch ourselves? Like, is this real? Like, is that is it, is it is this really happening? Is this reality? Like, it's so good that that just that just can't be true. If you feel guilty when you sin, you don't believe these verses. Now, I mean, I think that if you sin, sorrow might come, right? And there might be some anguish of your heart. But it's got to be along the lines of like disappointing your Savior, or like, like anguishing as Paul does with your, your own weakness of your flesh, or desiring and wanting something better. You just didn't, didn't get it. I mean, those feelings are are right, you know, because there's a relationship there. Maybe you you, you failed in some regards, but it's not guilt. It's not God's wrath. And, and if you're feeling guilty because of your sin, you don't believe these verses here, because there's no room for guilt when we are. Verse two, right? Set free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. We are. We are free of that. That that law doesn't apply to us anymore. Do you, do you really believe that? The law of sin and death just doesn't apply to you anymore. Because now I'm living according to the, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. There's some vast things. And I just say this, right? It, if, if ever guilt comes in, it comes, like the hymn writer says, right? We already looked at this. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. That's when upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin, right? So when, when we, we're trying to get that guilt or if you ever try to repay, whatever, I, I sinned here, God. But, but if I do this, right, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I pray extra hard, right? that's that's all trying to appease. God says you're not condemned, and If you're not condemned, and if Satan's trying to condemn you of your guilt and if you're self I just say this, right Go back to Romans 8:1 and say there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ, because Satan's ploy is to get guilt within us.? right? So we, we dent the gospel a little bit, and we don't see how great and glorious the gospel is, but a life that believes in Christ will be look to Jesus, we'll look to Jesus, and, and we'll remember of the complete and utter forgiveness that, that we've received in him. So back when I was talking to my garage door operator, I I got the best job in the world. I teach the Bible, and I get to tell people how their sins are forgiven through faith in Jesus Christ. Believe that! Your sins are forgiven. They are wiped away. As Colossians 2.13 says, He's forgiven us all our transgressions. They are nailed to the cross. The guilt has been removed. And a life that believes in Christ is a life of guilt-free living. That's how glorious the gospel is. And, and it's not something that says, oh, I'm, I'm free, right? I can do what I want. No, no, no. You, you've missed it. Right? The gospel says that God has been so gracious. He's lavished it upon you and given you a heart's desire, right? Inwardly, serving the life of the, the law, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. Giving you desire that way. But you, you know you don't do it and you anguish when you don't do it. But you don't anguish because of guilt. You anguish because of sorrow and despair and the weakness of your own flesh. And so I just trust that you are in Christ if you're not, pray and believe in Christ. And, I, and I, just, I just hope we all believe this, of how big these verses are, that we are free in Christ. That's why I said my message title this morning is Free in Christ Explanation part, Mark. Bang! We are free in Christ. All caps. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would help us to realize the, just the glories of the gospel that it's far greater even, God, than we, we often think. Right? We just we, we get caught up. We think that your forgiveness is like we forgive other people and your forgiveness is vastly different. It's divine pardon, announced, declared, unchangeable, undoable again, forgiven. And so in that, God, I pray that we would see and reflect. I pray for those who are not in Christ here this morning, Lord, I pray that you would grant salvation, open eyes, open hearts. I pray for the many people that we all rub against this week who aren't in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would uh, God open eyes and ears and hearts to the glories of Jesus so we might see people come into your kingdom to the glory of Jesus, whose name we pray. Amen.